0: If you're sick or things going on, you can't be with us in person. But don't let that stop you from not being actively engaged in the body of Christ. Seek out other believers. We would love for you to join us here in person. But if you're if you live far away, uh, join a healthy church uh, wherever you're at. And we are. My
1: prayer is that we would worship God in spirit and in truth today.
0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh Ingan. I serve as the pastor here. And as you look at your worship guide, we have a a lot of ways to worship today. And it's going to be going to participate. So be ready. We're going to have a responsive reading of scripture. So you're going to be reading the bold and underlined. So be prepared for that in just a moment. We're going to be worshiping through song. We're going to be praying for the sick and hurting. And uh, on that note, we do have people, you know, just coming out of the hospital with surgeries. Barbara Davis um, other people that have been recovering from surgeries and also under this category of prayer and helping those uh, who are hurting and um, and in need. Uh, let's be in prayer for Carolyn Hendrick. Uh, she had a couple big limbs fall on her, her house recently this past week with the storm and she's going to need uh, some funds to help repair those things. And so we're going to be ta- taking up a, a, lo- a love offering for her if you feel feel led to, to give to, towards that. Uh, just mark that on on your your envelopes when you give. Uh, we, that would be very helpful. And there's if you're also on 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 Facebook, they're having a a GoFundMe, so you can give to that give that way as well online. Um, we're going to be going back through, uh, getting back into Genesis this morning, uh, preaching through the book of Genesis. We'll be in Genesis chapter 24, and then uh, we'll close out today with worship through prayer, praying for the lost, and that we'd be bold in sharing the gospel. Uh, So a lot of good things are going to to be happening today, and as we look forward uh, to to next week and this coming up week, uh, we have a special guest coming this Wednesday at 6 p.m. for our prayer service. Uh, One of my friends, one of our neighbors, uh, goes to the seminary. His name is Billy Holthauser. He recently went on a mission trip to Japan a couple weeks ago, and so I invited him to come and share with us uh, what's going on in Japan, what they did, what they, how they were able to share the gospel, and what it's like to, to share the gospel in a different context and a different culture. And we can learn from that and m- m- be thinking how we can share the gospel with people from Japan that are moving here, people from other Asian contexts. That would be helpful for us to share the gospel. Um, and then also looking ahead... Uh, at the end of the month, August 27th, we're going to have a special business meeting after the service on August 27th that Sunday uh, to vote on the next fiscal year's budget and, and uh, committees and all those things. So a lot of uh, good things coming up. Be in prayer for all these. Uh, we're thankful for what we had happen this past Sunday. We we baptized two. Eloise and Abigail were baptized. So grateful and thankful for God to God for that. And we also had a great time of worship. Uh, with a band called Phillips and Banks and we had uh, about seven different churches maybe more represented from around the area to come in and see them and it was great uh, to be able to have them and we're going to tr- definitely try to have them back at some point so I know all right let, let me get out of the way and we can begin worshiping the Lord we're going to have Jared come up and ha- lead us in our call to worship
2: Morning, church. Uh, I'm going to read the uh, responsive reading, and that today is Romans 8, 26 through 30. And as uh, Pastor Josh mentioned, you can read aloud the underlined and bold parts. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us when expressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified.
3: As we begin our time of hymn singing this morning, let me see here, turn to page 499 if you're using the hymnal, stand if you're able, we're going to sing the wondrous story. are still standing, if you turn over to page 493, if you're using the hymnal, we'll sing glory to his name.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm here to pray for the sick and the hurting. Um, we do have some, um, like Ms. Carolyn Hendricks. I know she's been hurting because of the loss or the damage that she had at her home. Uh, Ms. Barbara Davis, we're praying for her also. And we're glad to see Eddie Davis back with us today. So let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time you have given us to Pray for those who are in need of your healing touch, um, who are in need of uh, just a a comforting uh, word from you. Lord, we just pray for those who are sick in our congregation. We pray that you would send a healing hand to them because by your word you said you would heal us if we would ask you in Jesus' name. Um, We just give you all the glory and the praise for all the victories and the... um, everyone who becomes well in your name in jesus we pray amen
3: for our time of praise songs this morning we're going to do oh four thousand tongues and one we haven't done in a really long time child of love and uh In case y'all happen to look over this way towards the piano player, y'all may recognize her from a few days ago. (laughs) Sure glad to have Kay back with us this morning playing. So, (laughs) yes, please stand if you will. Yeah, I got so excited I forgot. Thank you may be see
0: There we go. So if you've trusted in Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've been adopted into his family. And that is all because God loved you enough to send his son for you. And in that way, that's why we can sing, we are a child of love. God has loved us so much. And in today's passage that we're going to be looking at in Genesis 24, we're going to see God's love for us, and maybe in ways you didn't expect, and how God loves us in ways that we don't even maybe recognize. Because what we'll see is that God is in control. God is planning things out. God is orchestrating things for our good. As Jared read this morning, Romans 8, God's working all things out for the good of those that love him. And so in today's passage, we're looking at what I've titled Redeeming Marriage, the Story of Isaac and Rebecca. And we'll have three main sections Number one, who to marry? This will be real practical for if you're single, you're young. Who should you marry? Number two, should we pray for a sign? We'll see a a, a servant's prayer here, and we're going to be asking the question, should we imitate him in this prayer? And then number three, we'll look at the redeeming marriage of Jesus in the church. So God uses the image of marriage to show his relationship between, between himself and the church, his people. So we'll, we'll see a glimpse of that, and we'll, look, we'll kind of go jump over to Ephesians 5 for just a little bit at the end there. And so we just got done with a series through the Psalms for 10 weeks, and now we're jumping back into Genesis. So I, I think we do need a little re- recap. We, we, we were jumping into Genesis 24, and you kind of need a little bit of context of what, what is going on. What we've covered uh, months before. So here's just a real big picture recap. I'm going to highlight four main verses here to give us to kind of catch us up to speed. So first, uh, Genesis 3:15 kind of starts it all. Starts it all. Before this, God made everything. God made everything perfect. The world was perfect. People sinned. Man and woman sinned. And then we see this kind of as a thesis statement to the rest of the Old Testament, looking forward to a Savior, okay, that will come to defeat Satan. He says, God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, that is, hostility between the serpent and the woman, the devil and her offspring. And between your offspring and her offspring, the serpent, he will strike your head. So the offspring will strike the serpent's head. He will be the snake crusher, right? The Messiah will be the one who will crush Satan. But in doing so, the serpent will strike his heel. He will be injured. This will ultimately be Jesus to defeat Satan on the cross. Jesus must die in order to defeat sin and Satan. Okay, so that's kind of what we're looking forward to this offspring. God is going to plan and keep the the lineage alive to make sure Jesus would come on the scene. And then we see in Genesis 9, verse 24. We see kind of the the split between kind of two family lines here. It says, after Noah woke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. So this family line of Canaan will be cursed, and he will be the lowest slave to his brothers. But in verse 26, he says, blessed be to the Lord, the God of Shem. And so Shem would be the godly line, the one who the Savior, the Messiah will come through. Okay, so we're tra- tracing that, that lineage through Shem. And then part of one of his descendants named Abram comes on the scene, Genesis 12. Genesis, Genesis 12 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so now God has a chosen person, a chosen people that he will work through through Abraham to make his nation great. And uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, will bear a son who God will work through. In Genesis 17, verse 19. But God said, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. So Isaac is the chosen seed. He will be the one through whom the Messiah will come through Isaac's family. Okay. So that's kind of where we're picking up off with Isaac. We're looking now at the story that we're getting going to get into is finding Isaac a wife. And this is d- definitely important for to continue the lineage. And we left off uh, last time we were in Genesis 23, Isaac's mother Sarah has passed away. And now we get to Genesis 24, which is the longest chapter in Genesis. It's 67 verses long. And while chapters and verse numbers were added later, this still is one of the longest single narrative self-contained units in Genesis. And the reason the chapter is so long is because it goes into great detail of of the events and actually repeats some of the same details twice. Uh, And I think the purpose of that is to show us that God is in control, even to the details. Because every time it is mentioned, they are praising God, they are thanking God for what has accomplished in the details and while we'll read about five main characters in this story we'll see abram or abraham now we'll see abraham's servant we'll see rebecca who will be isaac's wife we'll see rebecca's brother laban and obviously we'll see isaac so we have those five human characters but we'll only to see that god is actually the main character of the story we'll see his fingerprints playing out everywhere in the story so as I go through the story, I'll explain some of the details, but I'll mainly focus on the big picture here. I, want us to, I don't want us to uh, miss the big picture. And the big picture I want us to see today, is, as I've already said, is that God is in control. And if God is in control, then he is trustworthy. And if he is trustworthy, he also deserves our worship. So we'll see that God is in control, he's trustworthy, and he deserves our worship. And throughout the, the whole message today, there's going to be kind of three main applications. So first, there's going to be an application of ethics, of what to do, what, what do we believe, how are we to live specifically in our marriage, and more, more generally, how are we to live? We can learn some, some things to do, things for us to believe, who to marry, for instance, how to trust God, how to pray for guidance. We'll learn these practical, ethical things. And then second, we'll see how all of this points to the Messiah, the Savior, points to him being born through this lineage. And then finally, number three, we'll conclude. We'll learn about how marriage depicts God's relationship with his people. When you see a beautiful and good marriage, that should make you think of even the better marriage between God and his people, the church, okay? And so we'll see that at the end. So first, starting off, who to marry? Genesis 24, verse 1 opens this way. It says, Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned, Place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites." among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son, Isaac. So here's the setup of the whole story. Abraham gives his chief servant this mission to go back to his family and to find Isaac a wife. Going back, because remember, the family line, the lineage could not be from the Canaanites, from Canaan, and that's where they were living. So it'd been really easy for Isaac just to marry someone in that land, and but Abram wants him to go back to his family to marry in the the family line of Shem, and we've mentioned this before. In ancient times, it was very common to marry within your family. Uh, this would be later, uh, especially for close relatives. This would be later banned in Old Testament uh, law, uh, likely to protect people from themselves for the the genetic defects that would happen that people. Uh, that would marry, that would be closely related because of the result of sin and the fall on our bodies. But as of right now in the historical timeline, that is not the case. And uh, Isaac would would marry one of his his relatives in his family. And um, we see here a specific um, promise, a specific oath taking here. That might might be a little strange. In verse two, it, he asked the servant to place his hand under his thigh for this promise. And this only is, other time this kind of thing is mentioned is in Genesis 47, verse 29, when it's under similar circumstances. There in Genesis 47, uh, there, Jacob was old, and he had his son Joseph make an important promise about bearing him with his ancestors in the promised land. And so since both promises uh, have to do with the family line, the promise, the promise of the thigh likely invokes the place of procreation the place of circumcision as a covenant sign for Abraham's family. And it would mark the seriousness of this promise. He's like, I really need you to do this. I need you to find a wife from my family for my son Isaac. And so the servant will make this promise, but he first has a question in verse 5. It says, The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you. So what's going on here is he doesn't want uh, Isaac to leave the, the land that they're in. He, w- he wants the servant to go back and bring her back. But if And he gives this encouragement he says, God will go before you, and God will send his angel before you. God is preparing the way, okay? Do you trust God to prepare the way? God is working this out. Now, the particular details of how the angel does this is not depicted, and it seems that the angel works this out in normal, everyday means, and so I think that is true in our lives as well, that God is working things out in your life. There could be... there." there literally is probably angels here in the spiritual world. And that sounds strange, but there is more to the physical world, right? And the the, the angels and the spirits, they have a a, a, a place and they work things out, even though we don't fully understand how that happens, but it does. And then in verse eight, the servant responds, or Abraham continues, He says, if the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me, but don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master's Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So from the outset, the mission is pretty simple. Go find a wife for Isaac that's in Abraham's family line. All right. But we'll see um, that... The servant will kind of add on to this and make some other specifications, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, At this point, I want to just trace kind of the theology of this marrying, uh, who to marry here, because it begins here and it plays out later. Like I said, uh, Old Testament laws would would confine um, marriages between the covenant people of God later. So they would say, if they're part of Israel, if they're part of the covenant people, that is who you are to marry because once people started they said don't marry people from other countries because the other pe- other countries other nations were worshipping false gods and so they if you marry into that that family you're going to bring some of their false gods into them, to your to your family to your house and that's exactly what happens That's what we see in the old testament play out is people marry people from other nations and they bring their idols they get, fall into idolatry they worship other gods and so This would be uh, later picked up by the the New Testament for Christians, God's people, to marry fellow Christians, right? This concept can be gleaned from passages like 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. says, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. So it's like, he says, you know, anyone she wants, obviously, parentheses, in the Lord, like if they're in Christ, right? If they're a Christian, and then 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together. So that's like uh, you would, that farming analogy that many of you know, being yoked together, right? As you're connected to somebody else, you're working with them, uh, kind of used as an image of marriage here. Do be not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? So what is the, why would you mix if you're a believer in Christ and you're righteous in Christ Why would you want a partnership with someone who's lawless, who does not believe? He says, what fellowship does not, does light have with darkness? So this idea of marriage between believers, uh, just between believers, will be further strengthened when we actually see what the picture of marriage is representing, right? If marriage is supposed to represent Jesus' relationship with the church, how much he loves her, how much the church is devoted and loves Jesus, then our marriages should be between Christians as well. That will reinforce this idea. And this, this, this theology of who to marry goes, traces it back in Genesis with Isaac's marriage to someone in the family line of Shem. So, real practical kids, young people, single people here looking for a spouse. Take this seriously. When considering a future spouse, the number one characteristic you should be looking for And the question you should be asking is, do they trust in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King? That should be the first question. God has given us wisdom. He has given us rules that will benefit us, that are good for us. We need to trust God and His ways. You don't need to date someone just because they like you. I know that may be difficult, right? Seriously, if someone gives you the attention... If someone is nice to you, if they make you laugh, if your parents even like them, they're smart, they have a good job, they have money. But if they don't trust Jesus, you're missing the main point. You're missing the number one criteria. If you do want to be married, pray for God to send you that future spouse who loves and trusts God with all their heart. Pray that. Look for that be dedicated and devoted to that. It would, Like I said, it would have been easy for Isaac just to marry anyone in, in his area. He's, we'll see later they have lots of money and cattle and fields. He could have chosen anyone he wanted, but he was patient. He waited on the Lord to marry someone in his Abraham's family. So now as we turn to our second section, should we pray for a sign? See in Genesis 24, 24 verse 10. The servant took 10 of his master's camels, and with all kinds of his master's goods in hand, he went to Aram Naharim. I'm sure I said that right. <laughs> to Nahor's town. So this journey that he would be taking would take in at least a month for him to travel there, maybe longer. And the servant, he says, took 10 camels. This will be significant. And the gifts that he's bringing will be for Isaac's future spouse and her family. Some call it like a bride gift, the bride price, but it is gifts for their family, right? And after he gets there, after the long travel, in verse 11, he says, At evening, the time when women went out to draw water, some foreshadowing here, right? There's going to be a woman coming to draw water. He made the camels kneel beside a well outside of the town. And he he says, Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. So this is something I think we should imitate of Abraham's servant. That on this mission, he is praying for the Lord's success. He is depending on the Lord to make this happen. And show kindness to me. And notice, he uses the word today. This is the kind of the first time a request like this is made in the Bible. You can say that a lot in Genesis, the first time something happened. But he wants it to be urgent. And I think there's something to imitate with that. I think our prayers should be both dedicated to God and urgent. Praying that you could fight your temptation today, not tomorrow. Praying for someone's salvation today, not waiting. Praying for someone to be healed today. Be urgent in our request. There should be a sense of urgency when we pray. Pray that God would give you boldness to share the gospel today. Now, those some of those prayers are kind of Uh, maybe unnerving or anxiety because it's like, all right, I'm expecting it to happen today. Because sometimes you can be like, well, God, I hope this happens one day, right? Maybe I can hold on to my sin or I can hold on to this thing for a little bit longer. But if you say, God, I want this to be done today, take some urgency in our prayers. Trust in him. Pray. As it says in the New Testament, at the end of James chapter four, verse two, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Pray. Pray. It's simple, but it often goes neglected. I know firsthand experience. We should ask, we should pray. But at the end of the day, we must remember that our trust is in the Lord. We trust Him to do what is best. We trust in His timing. We pray for it to happen today, but recognize He knows what's best. He could make it happen five years from now. He knows what is best. He may not answer how we want or when we want, but we must continue to trust him and continue to ask. So now I think we should imitate Abraham's servant and his trust in God in this. And when you're going for anything, trust and pray for God to help you. But I think the following method, I would not recommend what he's about to do. For in his prayer that he will about to go forth with, he seems to try, try to limit God's hand. He tries to force his hand. He's going to set up a scenario and say, God, if this happens, then that will mean this. All right, so let's read it, and again, I don't think this is something to to be imitated here, and we'll go through why. He says in verse 13, he says, "'I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jugs that I may drink, and who responds, drink, and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac.'" By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Okay, so you get what's going on here. In other words, Abraham's servant is asking for a sign from God. If God fulfills this scenario in this exact way, then that's how he will know God has shown kindness. That's how he will know God has appointed this girl for Isaac. This would be the chosen one to say. And the sign that he asked for is that the girl would give him water. And the key here is water all of his camels, the 10 camels that he has. That's a big deal. It would take about 80 to 100 buckets of water lifted from the well to water all those camels. That's a a lot of work and not something normal people would do for a stranger. They'd be like, yeah, I'll give you water. But, you know, you can water your own camels. 10 camels, that's a lot. This would certainly be out of the ordinary. The girl who would do this would certainly be amazingly kind, amazingly generous. She would have to be actually strong, a hard worker, right? This would be a a great person, a great spouse for Isaac. But let us remember, the instructions the servant was given was to find a wife for Isaac that was within Abraham's family line. That was it. That was the only qualification. That was the one qualification, find someone in the family line of Abraham, so he's taking things into his own hands here, and I think he has definitely good intentions to try to find a wife for Isaac with a strong character. He's hardworking, strong, kind, generous, hospitable, but he does so in a way that kind of forces God's hand, because I think there's many ways he could have went about this to find out this per- the, a person like this, but he, he tries to force God's hand to make him answer to this sign. Because God never tells his people to come up with some sort of sign to verify that he's at work. What does God do? He asks us to, to trust him. He asks us to see how he's working things out for our good in our life. How does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? He says in Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So in Jesus' context, the Gentiles were babbling. They were trying to, with their many words, with, they would try to use like magical incantations, a magical spell. If I say the right words in the right way at the right time, then God must answer my prayer. They're trying to force God's hand. And Jesus is like, don't do that. You cannot force God's hand on this. He already knows what you need before you ask. Right? And so Abraham's servant should have stopped at the beginning of his prayer when he said, "Lord, God, my master Abraham, make this happen for me today. Show kindness to my master Abraham." He should have prayed that. <laughs> and trusted God to move. And trusted. remember, God said Abraham said, God would send an angel before you. He would take care of this. He should have trusted, trusted him. Now you can, say, you know we could give reasons why he prayed this way. It, given the timeline of where he's at in the Bible, he's before the Bible's written, right, in the Old Testament. He doesn't have the scriptures like we do today. He doesn't have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching us how to pray. He doesn't have the Proverbs. He doesn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him, giving him wisdom. He's, he doesn't have the people of God around him to ask for wisdom. But we do. On this side of the cross, on this side of history, in the, in the life of the church, we have God's Word. We have the wisdom and the laws that He's given us how to live and how to pray. God gives us, gives us His Holy Spirit, so we can know we can have wisdom and discernment and make good decisions. He's given us the church, so we can ask people, "Hey, what do you think about so and so? I'm thinking about dating them. I'm thinking about they might be my future spouse." And if mature believers don't have any problems with that, you you can take you can trust that you can trust your conscience. You know, is, is something against your conscience, right? God has given us the Holy Spirit to make us anew. Sometimes the signs people ask for today are not even miraculous. You know, it's like I, you can imagine people saying something like, the next person who walks into the room that is wearing a red shirt, that's my future spouse. Like, that's not a good, that's foolish, Right? Some people may make up signs to support what they already want to do, right? Like, God, um, if my girlfriend calls me before 5 p.m. today, then she's the one. Like, she's probably going to call you, right? Like, you want it to, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, these sound funny when spoken aloud like this, but people really live their lives like this. They really make big decisions based on subjective signs. God did not give us his word he did not detail all of his commands and wisdom of how to live, just for us to like, I want to sign, right? He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you the church. Let us not neglect those things. Like I said, if the decision that you're making is in line with the Bible, is in line with the principles of wisdom in the Bible. If other mature believers don't think you're going crazy, if you're not sinning against your conscience, then make the best decision you can with the wisdom God has given you, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and trusting God. This is a much better way to make a decision than asking for a sign. Now, with all that said, those of you who know the story, God is gracious, and he works through imperfect people, and he works through imperfect means. Because, as we'll see, God actually allows this sign to come true. Right? God comes down to Abraham's servant's level. We, he condescends to this request. He says, you, and in other words, I can imagine God saying, you should have just trusted me, you used your wisdom to find the, someone in the family line, but I will make this sign come to pass for your benefit and for the benefit of others. And I think that happens a lot in our time, in today's times too. You, you, I'm sure in, in, a, in a, people in this room, and I could probably think back in my own life where I've asked God for a sign for something, it's like, God, which way should I go? What should I do? Give me some kind of sign. And sometimes it's not even specific. It's kind of like, give me a sign, and I'll figure it out afterwards. But sometimes God can use that, but it doesn't mean that we should be looking for it, right? It doesn't mean that it may, it is wise to do. God can use imperfect people, and he can use imperfect means. Just because something works doesn't mean it's right, right? So in in verse 15, we notice we see God answering this prayer because the, the way it's phrased here it says, before he had even finished speaking, he, did, he wasn't even done yet. He wasn't even given all the details. Who knows how long the details of the sign went, might have went on. He goes, there was Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Just so happens that she was in the family line of Abraham. Not just so happens, right? Not a, not a coincidence. God's planning this. He's working all things out. And she's coming with a jug on her shoulder. And so remember, he was praying for urgency, and he said, today let this happen, and before he's even done, God makes it happen. God knows what we need before we even pray it, and in some respects, God wants us to pray because of our own benefit. If God knows, then why pray, right? If God already knows it all, that's a common question that we have as believers that we're trying to understanding the mind and supernatural things of God. God knows what you need, but he still wants us to pray, because I think it's for our benefit, really, he wants us to show our dependence on him. He wants us to recognize that God answered our prayers. It shows God wants this for us. It's good for us to pray. And it seems that at this point in history, before they had the scriptures, before they were filled with the Spirit, he needed to, to give a sign to verify God's selection. Okay? And I'm tempted to do similar things. It's, it's sometimes way easier. It takes less thought. It takes less time and effort to ask for a sign if you think about it. Because you could say, oh God, give me a sign if this is right. Or you could pray for wisdom. You could pray for advice. You could seek advice. You could search the scriptures for wisdom. You could talk to people in your church. But all that takes time and effort, critical thinking. It can sometimes be easier to be like, God, just give me a sign. So we, sometimes the easy way is not always the best way. And again, You may have asked for a sign before, and it worked. Praise God that He uses imperfect people and imperfect means. I'm one of those same people. Here's a good here's a good example of things that somebody may, may be here today. You may have asked for a sign today, like God should I go to church today? And something happened in your house that made you come to church today. Praise God, right? But imagine all the other people. They prayed for a sign, and they didn't get it. Or they said, God, if, if, I, uh, if my alarm doesn't go off, then I won't go to church today. Or something, you know, something like that. Like That's not good. They got a different sign, and so they're, they're, therefore they're not at church today. Again, just because something works out doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So I don't, while I don't think we should imitate that part of the servant's prayer, I do think we should imitate his response after, he detail, after Rebecca waters all the ten camels, she, she goes through that, and she does. She fulfills the sign. She waters all the ten, cam, ten, ten camels. And in verse 26, kind of drop down to verse 26, the servant, the, the man, knelt low and worshipped the Lord. I think we should respond in worship when God answers our prayer. When we realize what he's done for us, we should worship God. And he recognizes God is doing, the one doing this. He says, "'Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham.'" who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. Again, it would have been enough if Rebecca came out and she, he asked who she was, and the servant could have responded in the same way. Rebecca's a, a fa- in the family line of Abraham. He could have said, praise God, you, he sent you to me. He didn't have to go through all this, these signs. God wants us to praise Him in everyday things. He wants us to see how He controls the things in our lives that turn out for our good. It doesn't have to be some miraculous sign. He wants us to recognize that He's working all things out for our good, Romans eight twenty eight. And so if you start recognizing God's fingerprints in your life, that should lead you to worship. That should lead you to recognize His kindness towards you. That should increase your trust in Him. You got up this morning. You were able to come here You're able to drive here. You had food on the table. You have a house. You have food and water. Those are all things God has provided for you. Let us praise Him. Think about and pray. What has God done for you? In your everyday normal life, what has God done for you? And have you praised Him for it? Because the Christian life is really a cycle of prayer, trust, and praise. Prayer, trust, and praise. Because it just keeps on a big cycle that way. Now, as we turn to our third section, Redeeming Marriage of Jesus and the Church, Genesis 24 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll jump to Ephesians 5 25. Because we've gleaned a lot of the ethics from whom to marry, how to trust God in prayer and pray with urgency. We've learned that using God's wisdom that He's given us through His Word depending on the Holy Spirit and using our advice from fellow believers to make decisions, there's a bigger story here. There's a bigger picture, how this connects to Jesus. For while Isaac and Rebecca, some have called it a match made in heaven, we need to remember that this marriage will continue the family line of God's people. God will grow them into a great nation, and from them the Messiah will one day come and save their people from their sins. God is planning and working all of this out so that this would happen. To make sure we get the point, the narrator repeats the details of the story. After church today, if you want to read this afternoon, you go back and read the details that he's pointing out that God is working through all of this. God is mentioned uh, half a dozen times in the next verses. He's mentioning God's actions throughout the whole story. He's telling Laban, Rebecca's brother, what happened. Has like, God did this. God is the one who orchestrated all of this. And in verse 50, we see Laban, who's Rebecca's brother, and Bethel, uh, his, her dad, answer after hearing the story. They say, this is from the Lord. They're convinced. This is from God. We have no choice in the matter. Like, this is from God. They're convinced that God's hand was in this, and they're not going to stand in God's way. At first, if you read on, they try to delay her leaving, and we'll see later on, in a, in a couple of chapters, Laban will delay marriage between uh, who you know what I'm talking about We'll get to that.. You know. And so Laban's not the, not the most godly man. We'll see him make mistakes later on. And we see in verse 60, drop down to verse 60, the, her fam, their family blesses Rebekah saying to her, "Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. What a We should have that in weddings. I feel like that should be a blessing in weddings. I'm half joking. But this blessing is not a mere coincidence either. It matches God's promise to Abraham's descendants. In Genesis 22, verse 17, this is what God blessed with Abraham. He says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. So God is clearly working things out in the background, even down to the blessing from Rebecca's family to give them the same blessing. And the, Isaac and Rebekah would be united with this same blessing uh, to go forth, to have offspring as numerous as the stars, to be a powerful nation. God is fulfilling his promise and will one day send his son born into the family line of Rebecca and Isaac as we read about when Rebecca and Isaac meet in verse 61. They make, they make the long journey back, and Rebecca and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac was re- returning from Leroy, for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? The servant answered, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. So what a beautiful story. Almost too good to be true. Even to the details of the two just happening to notice each other in the fields before they even knew who each other was, right? And upon seeing Isaac, she puts on the veil. It's to symbolize that she was his bride. It's kind of a wedding veil. And Isaac, as Isaac's wife, she now becomes the new matriarch of Israel, the new queen of the kingdom, taking the place of Sarah who had passed away. And she would one day give birth to a son named Jacob. And as Matthew, in, in his gospel, traces the lineage from Abraham to Jesus, he begins this way, Matthew 1, 2. He says, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And then down in verse 16, we get another Jacob, fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. That's what all of this is pointing to. It is getting... To Jesus is preparing us to see and recognize Jesus as the Messiah God is in control perfect getting the lineage up to the Messiah and while Rebecca and Isaac they give us a glimpse of a of a marriage relationship and while no marriage is perfect because no spouse is perfect God chose the symbol of marriage to depict his relationship with his people the church as it says in Ephesians five twenty-five. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the picture of marriage, the mutual love and respect and sacrifice it pictures Jesus' sacrifice for the people of God. It pictures Jesus' love for the church. It also pictures the church's love and devotion to Christ. And so, the scriptures we've, we've seen in Genesis already—Genesis and Genesis one and two—the picture of Adam and Eve and the focus on their marriage and their coming together. In the Old Testament will give a lot of time talking to, about marriage: some good marriages, some very bad marriages. And they all use this language of marriage to point us to and help us understand the relationship between God and his people. All of these stories point us to the greatest marriage of all Jesus' sacrificial love for his people, the church. So during our time of response, I want us to seek God. I want you to pray and ask guidance for any big decisions coming up that you may have. Really pray, ask for advice. Ask for wisdom. Ask for discernment to make a wise decision. Use this time to repent of any times where you've trusted in your own wisdom, where you were prideful. Repent of times where you lacked faith and trust in God and realize that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. Find forgiveness in Him. Find hope in Him. Jesus died for all your sins. So respond in praise to God who loves you more than any other person ever could. More than your spouse, more than your mom, more than your dad, more than your brother, more than your best friend. God loves you more. Let us pray. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would seek you right now. They would seek advice from you. They would seek discernment and wisdom from you they would search the scriptures this week and today to see what you have to say about whatever is going on in their life. That they would seek out mature believers. God, we repent of times where we've lacked faith. God, we repent of times where we've trusted in our own knowledge and our own pride instead of trusting in you. God, help us find forgiveness at the cross. Help us always cling to the cross. Or is our only hope of salvation is in Jesus. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our invitation, please?
5: Let me read some scripture for you this morning. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on him they, they have not heard, have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The good news is what Ricky told us about Wednesday night. If you hear Wednesday night, you heard Ricky tells, reminded us of the good news of the gospel. And, uh, and uh, you, if you're a born-again Christian, if, uh, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what the good news of the gospel is. Ricky reminded us of that Wednesday night. Uh, And he, Ricky, also reminded us that if if you are born again, then you have a testimony. He also reminded us that we need to practice that testimony and have it ready at all times uh, because the the Holy Spirit resides within us. The scripture tells us that if you are born again, the Holy Spirit becomes, your body becomes the temple, the hacienda, the house of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit resides in you. And if you listen to the Holy Spirit and you hear that on Sunday morning and the Sunday school hour, and Monday, Monday night at the Sunday school hour, you remember you, you, you know that the Holy Spirit leads you, teaches you what to say when at at proper time. So that's the good the good news of the gospel is what Ricky told us Wednesday night. You have no excuse. The Holy Spirit resides in you that. That, that tells you when it's, when it's time to share the gospel and gives you the words to say we ought to be about that that's what God calls us to do he could use, any, he could use any, anything at his disposal to spread the good news but he chose you and I to share that good news we ought to be about that every day of our life every moment of our life please do that thank you for that message Pastor Josh join me in prayer our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have chosen us as instruments to share the gospel. Lord, help us to be about that as, as we go about our normal life. Uh, uh, Lord, we, we know that the Spirit teaches us and the Spirit resides in us. And the Spirit, your Spirit, Lord, Lord God, the, 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 per, the third person of the Trinity, is, uh, is, our, is, is within us. And Lord, we have the words to say because you're going to give them to us. Thank you for the message we heard today. I pray, Lord God, the young people are listening and, and they, they'll know how to go about choosing a mate. Thank you for, for blessing those of us that are here. Lord, And I, I, I pray that the message is also spread about in the community and those around us through the, through the social media that, that, uh, that was broadcast from our, our pulpit this morning. Bless us in all we do, and may we ever be in your will. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.